so much. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. Continue to talk about uh, Gideon. Thank you for uh, your update, by the way. I was going to ask the Winters for an update there. Continue to pray for them as they get settled in here. And you need anything, you just let us know. Amen. We want to be a help as much as we can. I'm grateful for those that God's bringing our way. And I uh, don't think that probably we've seen the last of it. I see uh, quite a few people have called already about uh, relocating here. So that's what happens when you have the best governor in the United States. Amen? All right. Judges chapter 7. Thank you for those of you who prayed for my son, too. My son, Tim, uh, got COVID last week. And so he's been uh, had to be booted out of college there for a few days. And, uh, of course, we didn't want him. So uh, he's got COVID. So we put him in a, a, a neutral place to... Uh, sit and wait out his containment so he's uh he's feeling all right he didn't get too sick or anything but uh, thank you for that judges chapter seven for uh seven years the midianites have assaulted the israelites and every year at harvest time they moved uh, these hordes into their land they would plunder the harvest they would terrorize the inhabitants and no one dared lift a hand against them uh, they seemed invincible they were undefeatable uh, it seemed, but then God raised up Gideon to be Israel's conqueror. Now, we've worked through quite a bit already, uh, talking about Gideon as he was called, and as he argued that call, and as he tested that call, and then he responded to it, and, and then the, the battle plan. I just want to, uh, just to set up tonight, as we're going to actually talk about the battle, just to set up exactly uh, what the strategy was for victory uh, as we begin and uh, catch everybody up since it's been a couple of weeks since we've been here uh, in, in this passage here. So look at verse number 19 of chapter 7. The Bible says, So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning uh, of the middle. Now, the Gideon and the hundred men, that's his section. He split them up into three, remember? So there's 300 all together. But they had, uh, they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred men blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host, and the host fled to Bethshida in uh, Zeriah, and the border of Abel-Meholah, and to Tabith. Now, still, if you've noticed, they're not fighting. All they did is, they're playing taps. They're not fighting. And these uh, men are, are running for their lives. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight as we look at this story, and break down some of the things that uh, it has to teach us we could apply we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Looking at the strategy, Gideon led his 300 men in one of the shrewdest and no doubt one of the strangest attacks ever executed by a military group. A.F. Muir said the strategy of Gideon is one of the military marvels of antiquity. Yeah, looking back at what happened. If we see the maneuvering here in verse 16, they divided the 300 men into three companies. This was so that they could be stationed kind of surrounding uh, every side of the camp, verse 18. The location of the troops was very important in this attack. 
uh, as it is in any attack, uh, the location of where you fight from, each soldier in Gideon's army had to be right where he was assigned so that the, fight or the, the battle could be successful. He had to be where Gideon told him to be and uh, had to be in his place. Uh, if the attack was to be successful, uh, then they had to be where they were supposed to be. Christian service is no different. We are to be where God places us. Whether that be, uh, sometimes we, we get the marching orders for God for our life and we aren't exactly excited about it in the beginning, but I can guarantee you the safest place for you to be is right where God wants you. The most joyful place for you to be is right where God wants you. Let's just submit to Him and see Him bless us for it. So we see the maneuvering. Then we saw the munitions uh, for the attack. Uh, Gideon equipped his soldiers for battle. But he equipped them with some very strange equipment. Look at verse 16. We're just doing a little review before we get into the actual battle tonight. He put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Okay, men, I know there's only 300 of us. I know we're going up against 135,000 uh, men. There's 450 men to one. Here's what you're going to go to battle with. Here's a brand new trumpet. Think about it. So here they got a trumpet, the Bible says. Uh, then, not only a trumpet though, I'm not going to let you go to battle just with a trumpet, I'm also going to give you a pitcher, and then a lamp, or their version of a flashlight, a torch. And uh, so those are the three things they're holding, ready to go to battle. It reminds us of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.27, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the mighty. Boy, doesn't he do that over and over. He chooses the weak things to confound the strong he the foolish things to confound the wise and uh, so these things are uh, God uses these uh, weapons that are weak and and he uses people who are weak and why does he do it well Paul answers the question in the very next verse that no flesh should glory in his presence now we know looking back and Gideon's men would know then the whole world would know that if Gideon's army a uh, ragtag army of 300 is going to be victorious in this battle. It's not them that's being victorious. It's God's power that did it. That no man or no flesh should glory in his presence. Then we see the mandate for the attack. The groups that sent the, uh, were sent to their posts with a very important order. Gideon commanded them. Look at verse 17. There's a great lesson here. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. He ordered them to follow his example. It reminds us we also have an example to follow in the Christian life. Uh, we should follow the Lord Jesus Christ as our captain, and he has a similar directive for us. He told us in John 13, 15, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Jesus gave us example of, after example of how we should act. We can never go wrong in following Christ's example. Now, when we go, went through this the first time, I talked a little bit about the WWJD bracelets. Not a big fan, uh, but we ought to have that sentiment as our goal. We should look to live as Christ would live. So we have Christ as example, and then Christians as well. Gideon told them, what I do, I want you to follow. I want you to do what I'm doing. And he represented what every believer should be to other believers. We are examples, not only to our children, not only to those maybe if we teach in a Sunday school class, we ought to be an example. You know that everybody is watched by somebody. Really. 
You might think, I just slip into church here every once in a while. You're, you're, you're watched. People see you. It, it, the fact that you're here means something. Amen? It does. Where you work, people are watching you. Uh, the people that you uh, live around, your neighbors, your family, they you get, here's, here's another one for you. Everyone has an opinion of you. Everyone you meet, they have an opinion of you. Now, they might not know you deeply, but they have some kind of opinion of you. They either like you or they don't like you. They think you're a good person or they think you're kind of not a good person. They have some kind of opinion of you. And so we ought to be an example to our fellow man. What, a, what it behooves us to be like Christ is we follow Christ's example, we can be an example to others. So Paul even said that, follow me as I follow Christ. We ought to have that, uh, that same attitude. Now, look at the moment of the attack. The, the timing was also very well timed. It was at, at midnight, essentially, right? At the change of the guard, so it was very dark. Uh, attacking at night made a lot of sense. Now, just follow me on this. If you've got 300 and they've got 135,000, attacking at night makes good sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Otherwise, they'd laugh themselves silly. They see your army attacking them. With, a, with 300 men. Uh, so it uh, was a time of darkness. It was also a time of distraction. The attack came when the watch was, the Bible says, but newly set. That means uh, it came when the quality of the watch was at its weakest. There would be a distraction. To, they were changing the guard there. And uh, that's when they attacked. Now, we talked a little bit about distraction. I won't uh, beat it to death tonight again. But we ought to be careful that we don't let down our guard and be distracted in the Christian life. There is so much distraction in today's day and age. In fact, we were just talking, went, went through a couple of discipleship lessons tonight, and we were just talking about that, reading your Bible. <laughs> uh, reading your Bible will, is one of the most distracting things. I Maybe mean, I'm different, but I know that uh, I'm not the only one because it was brought up by somebody else tonight. <laughs> reading our Bible is one of the most distracting things you can do. You think about everything when you're reading your Bible. The devil brings all kinds of reminders. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to go to the store for that. I forgot to do this. And uh, so just, uh, we, we got we to gotta put that noise away. We got to not be distracted. The rabbit hole of the internet, if you're trying to do work and you're, you're on the internet, I mean, you can get, you can burn two, three, four hours like that. Never know it because you're so distracted. We got to be careful about distracting. Did you know you can't do big things if you're distracted by small things? The devil does not have to deceive you if he can distract you. Boy, doesn't he have us distracted today. Tell, cell phones. Whew, hard to talk to somebody without uh, the cell phone getting in the way. Don't now listen, I'm glad that the Midianites were distracted at the time the Israelites fought them. But let's not us be distracted because we have a, an enemy that also looks for a distraction for him to attack. The devil knows when it is good time to attack. I promise you, whenever God's people let their guard down, look out because evil's going to strike and you'll be uh, tempted in different ways. Now, this is where we ended. We're going to start tonight with the manner of the attack. And this is where it gets odd. Now, the Bible does not tell us explicitly that Gideon was instructed by God in all of these steps. But we have to think it's pretty obvious that God instructed him in these steps because no one is going to say, I think I know how to take out an army of 135,000. We can blow a trumpet and hold up a torch. Now this is just like Joshua taking Jericho. 
Joshua wouldn't come up with the plan. I know how we can take down the walls of Jericho. We're going to walk around it. Not only that, on the seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven times. Oh yeah, them walls are going to fall after that. That's not man's thinking. So God was involved here. The attack had five aspects to it. Number one, the sounding of the trumpets. Going to battle with the sound of trumpets was introduced early in Israel's history. God said to Moses in Numbers chapter 10, verse 9, If ye go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets. Ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. The difference is that here uh, in Numbers, Moses had two trumpets, and they were blown only at the start. Here, there were 300 men, each having a trumpet, and they were supposed to keep blowing. Now, it was not normal procedure, but it was obviously very effective when they all started blowing that trumpet. The sudden blaring of the trumpets would awake the Midianites, and this helped to cause the fear and the panic. Now, obviously, I believe that God had something to do with that inner panic that uh, caused them to do what they did. But this, all of a sudden, I mean, it would be a little bit of an eerie, spooky sound, wouldn't it? To hear 300 trumpets start playing outside the camp in the middle of the night. That's what they heard. And uh, this, uh, by the way, the blowing of these trumpets would take a lot of courage. Nothing that they did up to this point would require the courage that it would take to blow that trumpet. Because to uh, repeatedly blow an alarm on your trumpet is going to commit you. Did you know that people can find you if you're blowing a trumpet? <laughs> it's kind of let's gives away your position. They could track you down. Remember, it's 450 to 1. So 450 can be hunting you, and 450 can be hunting every other man. This took some commitment to blow on that trumpet. I remember I took clarinet for a short time in band when I was in fifth grade. And uh, bad idea. Just, I, I, just, I didn't have any commitment to it. And so I was in band, and it took a while uh, for me to be discovered. But when we would play, I would not be playing. I would just be miming. I wouldn't actually be blowing through. And there was enough trumpets so I could escape. And then about the day four or five into it, then we were given things to practice and in the meantime. And I was fine. That's fine. I'm good because I'll just fake it when I'm in there. But then the teacher made us do solos. And I sounded like some kind of wounded cat, you know, when it came my time. And it was very obvious I had not been doing my job. Well, they, did, they could have done that tonight. I'll just mime blowing the trumpet, but they didn't. They blew those trumpets. Uh, this wasn't easy for them. It took courage for them. Middle of the night. This is, by the way, I believe where that heart would start to hammer when they started to blow those trumpets. This took commitment. This, this, let, everybody, this let that huge army know we're here. This made them vulnerable because now they're exposing themselves. Listen, those who faithfully preach and teach the Word of God in this day and age, or find themselves in a similar situation. To trumpet out warnings against sin takes great courage. Have you tried to take a stand even with your own children? Maybe in the midst of a public school they go to, or uh, games they're involved in, wherever you are, if you're going to take a stand with your family, it takes some courage. It's easy to go along with the flow. Remember, my dad used to always say, any old, dead, stinking, rotten fish can float downstream. It takes one with a little gumption, a little fight to go upstream. 
And so to go upstream of culture, it takes, a, it takes some courage. Once you trumpet the attack on evil, it's like throwing down a gauntlet. People know where you stand, and sometimes the fight is on at that point. Unfortunately, not many Christians today have the courage to take a stand for right. And so we just allow evil to continue around us. We don't want to get into a fight against evil. So they compromise. Uh, they do what others do so as not to stick out. Can I tell you tonight, live for God, have standards, do the right thing, even if it goes against culture sometimes. Even if you have to stick out like a sore thumb sometimes. These men here, they committed. This was not an easy thing for them to do. Uh, those type of Christians that go along to get along could never have been a part of Gideon's army. In fact, they've already been trimmed out and sent home, remember? The ones who drank water wrong, the ones who were afraid, they've already been sent out. And here these three, few are left, and they were uh, committed. Secondly, the second thing they would do, so they blew the trumpet, and then they smashed the pitchers. The pitchers were where the torches were hidden inside, these pitchers. So they had the light inside a pitcher so that they would still be in the dark. Now, smashing the pitchers would be an alarming sound in itself. Don't you hate the sound of things breaking? Uh, these beautiful blue Bible Baptist church cups that we have. Uh, there's a few that we've put in, into the ministry use in our kitchen. And the other, it was about a week ago, I was just taking it back. I'd had a cup of coffee and I was taking it back. And I wasn't looking and I set it on the counter, only I set it too far on the edge and heard that sound. I hate that sound. <laughs> you know, and then uh, uh, where it breaks. Here were 300 pitchers broken all of a sudden. Uh, something upsetting about the sound of breaking glass or pottery. The breaking of these 300 pitchers while the trumpets are being blown would be upsetting. Uh, the breaking of the pitchers, I think, can give us some important lessons for service as well as we are looking to see Bible principles here. Uh, to the necessity of being broken to be used for further service in God's service. How often, uh, I mean, we realize this, we have to be broken to be used as well. Remember when he gave the, fed the 5,000, broke the bread, uh, blessed the bread, broke the bread, handed out. We have to be broken if we're going to serve God. If we serve God without being broken, I promise you our service is going to be limited. We need to let God break our wills, break our, uh, break our rebellious spirits. Usually the unbroken area is our will, where we refuse to do what God tells us to do. Stubborn, self-willed, unsubmissive people are of very little use to God, unless they're broken. We need to be willing to be used of God in any way. And second, the necessity of being totally committed uh, in order to serve God. The breaking of the pitchers is even more than the trumpets a picture of total dedication. Now you're putting a spotlight on yourself. Now you, they know exactly where you are. Now you might be able to blow a trumpet and you of course would be exposing yourself that you're there but it could be a little confusing but you break that pitcher and you have that torch and all of a sudden you are in full light. There's no turning back. You're not in hiding anymore. Prior to this, they could hear you, but they couldn't see you. Now, they can hear you and see you. This is total commitment. Again, these are the 300 choicest men that God picked to go with Gideon. And presumably, we have no record otherwise, every single one of them did what Gideon said. Blew the trumpet, 
broke the pitcher. This is a scary thing to do. Think again. They are facing an army 450 times bigger than they are. And they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Commitment. Commitment. Man, do we have the commitment to serve God the way we should? My favorite joke, nobody ever laughs at it, but it's my favorite joke, so I'm going to say it anyway. If you are a kamikaze pilot who has flown 45 missions, you're involved but not committed. Amen? I'll just think about that for a while. Uh, but we need commitment, don't we, in the Christian life? We need commitment to, to go all the way. Uh, we will never progress in our service for the Lord if we're not committed. We need to go all out for Him. And too many people, they, they, don't, they just don't give everything to God. They give some but not all. They want to climb a ladder but keep one foot on the ground. Jump off the diving board but hang on with that one arm still. And I'm talking about partial service. I'm ta- even, even we could go as far as say, I'll go to church Sunday morning but not Sunday night, not Wednesday night. I'll do this but not that. I'll give so much. Aren't you glad God gave all? Amen? On the cross... He, uh, Jesus didn't hold anything back. He gave it all for us. We ought to be committed to Him. God is looking for vessels who are committed, who are willing to sign up for life. Luke 18.22 told that young man, sell all that thou hast. We want a commitment. We need, to, uh, we, we need to make sure that our extent uh, of our commitment to the Lord goes all the way. How far will you go for Him? Then the third thing, uh, the shining of the torches. So they were taken out, they would blaze up. All of a sudden, the Midianites, it went very fast, really quickly. It went from trumpets blaring, it went to uh, the breaking of the pitchers, uh, all unsettling sounds, and then it, all of a sudden there was these blaring of these uh, 300 lights. In the dark of night, this would add to the panic, and it's going to help them win the victory. Now how do we apply this here? One way... Uh, that we can apply it is serving the Lord in times of obscurity is just as important as in times of publicity. They were faithful with Gideon up to this point. They were doing the right things. They were being obedient. They were where they needed to be. Then they, uh, then they blew on the trumpets, and now all of a sudden, finally they're in public. But uh, for a while, up to that point, they just did what they were supposed to do, and they weren't in a time of publicity, but obscurity. In our day, which is a day of self-promotion, wouldn't you agree? Social media. It's funny they call it social media. So it should be called selfish media because there's nothing social about it. But this is what they call it, social media. Self-promotion. We may not understand this truth in the day that we live in, but we need to stop being so anxious to be known and seen and recognized for everything we do. We need to just be willing to serve. Don't fret if God sticks you in a picture somewhere. And uh, where you're hardly known or even noticed. In times like this, keep the fire going. And there will be a time that God puts you in the public eye. We've got this, this in the picture serving all throughout the Bible. I think of John the Baptist. John the Baptist for years, uh, the Bible says in John 5.35, he was a burning and shining light. But he spent many, year in the picture of, many years in the picture of the deserts. He was there, there nobody knew about him. Until Luke 180 Till the day of his showing into Israel. That's when the, the picture was broken. That's when he went public. That's when he went uh, where people could see him. What a mess he would have made if he came out before God's timing. God's timing was perfect, which coincided with Jesus showing up on the scene. And so he was faithful. He ministered. And by the way, a short time he ministered, six months, and then guess what? He was taken out of the spotlight again. 
John said he must increase, I must decrease. Guess what God did to him? Decreased him. By the way, John didn't like it that much when that actually happened. We don't like when God decreases us. <laughs> we might have the noble nobility to say it, but we certainly don't like it when it happens. But John, uh, John was that person. Any person who serves the Lord ought to have that attitude. I've I, I got to decrease. He's got to increase. Even Jesus went through this picture experience for 30 years uh, while he prepares himself for his short ministry. He lived a life of subjection in Nazareth. If even Jesus Christ experienced the seclusion of the picture, we should not complain if that's where we find ourselves sometimes. No matter what or how obscure the situation, stay faithful, keep the fire burning in your soul, and God will use you. Someday your time will come to shine. I was talking today to a young man who, uh, who is, wants to go into ministry. And uh, I was talking to him how about, how about, about how important it is to be faithful. Jesus said, you be faithful in a few things. I'll let you be faithful over many things. And uh, that's the principle in which God uses us. You can't expect God to use you if you're not faithful in where you are now. You're not going to be used for great things if you aren't faithful in the small things. And uh, so uh, you're not going to shine uh, if you don't shine in obscurity, then you won't shine in the open, is what I'm trying to say. So let's be, just be faithful. And then number four, uh, this, in this battle scheme, you've had the, you had the trumpets, then you had the breaking of the pitchers, then you had the shining of the lamps, and then the shouting of the battle cry. Gideon instructed his 300 men uh, to shout this statement, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, when he gave the signal. Now, battle cries are important. They can inspire. I think all of us are familiar with the battle cry, Remember the Alamo! Now, we weren't there, uh, but, but uh, most of us weren't anyway. But uh, we, we know the cry very well, don't we? We understand that battle cry and what it meant. By the way, that was a rousing battle cry that helped defeat Santa Anna later. But these two uh, names that the Midianites most dreaded, the Lord and Gideon. Now, was Gideon proud to put his name in here? Was this kind of presumptuous of him? Well, let's look what the Bible says in verse 14. Uh, he had heard, if you remember, he was hiding outside the tent of that Midianite. Remember what the Midianite said? This, this is nothing but the sword of Gideon. That's what his dream meant. This is about the sword of Gideon. This was spoken by the Midianite. So Gideon wisely incorporated that in, I believe, because that was a big source of fear for them. But... He did something else first. He changed it to give the Lord first place. With him, it was first the sword of the Lord, and then it was the sword of Gideon. He had that right, didn't he? He gave credit where credit was due. He wanted the Midianites to know that Jehovah was involved in this victory. In fact, Jehovah is foremost in this victory, and then Gideon. Too often, I wonder if our slogans don't put emphasis on man instead of God too much. Uh, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Another interesting part of the attack here is that the 300, as I mentioned earlier, didn't actually ever charge the camp. In fact, I, I had a picture from when I heard it in Sunday school for years that you had the breaking of the, you had the blowing of the trumpets, the breaking of the pitcher, the, the, uh, the torch they had, the cry as they thundered down the hill. Well, that's not what happened. The Bible says they stood there. They just stood. They did not rushed the camp. Look at verse 21. They stood every man in his place. 
Now, later on, Gideon and his 300 did pursue the Midianites across the Jordan, if you go to chapter 8, verse 4. But for now, they stood firm while the Midianites fled. They had a duty to do, and that duty was to blow the trumpet, smash the pitchers, hold up the torches, and shout the battle cry. And that's what they did. It's a crucial element of their success. What would have happened after they broke the pitchers and blew the trumpets if they ran down the hill into the Midianite camp? What would have happened next? Well, immediately, Midianites would have seen what a small army they're attacking. 300 men would have become very evident. And then also, uh, they would have seen that they are coming with the weapons, the trumpet, and a torch, and maybe some broken pitcher shards. That's all they got. So it was wise for them. They stood, and they, it would have ended the battle, I believe, but standing firm for a time kept the Midianites in suspense, and they were absolutely panicked, as we can see. Can, can I tell you tonight, I, maybe it's different for you, but it's usually much harder to stand still than to be active. You ever notice that? If I, I do this all the time, it's a terrible thing, but if I'm in a situation where I'm in traffic and maybe there's construction, and I, I know that it's going to take me like five minutes to get through this, I'll drive ten minutes around somewhere to, to just to be moving, just to be moving, because I, I just don't want to sit there. And just the five minutes sitting there seems way longer than the ten-minute detour, ten detour i got to make. We like to be moving. I like to be moving. There's action is easier than standing. It's just easier for us. Even if the activity isn't productive, just to be doing something. Well, that's how we are. We like to add action to waiting on God. But God, did you know He wills our stops as well as our starts? That's a tough thing. I'm, as I get older, I have to recognize this sometimes. Sometimes He's willing a stop. And not a start. And so it's, you know, we run around like chickens with heads cut off. And uh, that does not prove, that, that doesn't prove your dedication or your productiveness, anything. Obedience is what proves your dedication. But I don't know about you, it's, it's harder. It's easier for me. I vastly prefer forward march to company halt, is what I'm saying tonight. But this is where they were. They were to stand. No action necessary yet. You know, when you're in a hurry, stop signs can be frustrating. Can't they? Uh, especially if there's nothing around. I, one of the things that, stop signs that bother me is if you're way out in the middle of nowhere, you can see as far as in South Dakota, you can see miles, you know. And uh, no reason for a stop sign to be there, but you've got to stop if you're going to be a law-abiding citizen such as I am. Amen. And uh, so stop signs can be frustrating um, s during, during this construction on, on 6th up there. You know, I would go up to 7th. They got a stop sign every five feet on 7th Avenue. Have you ever noticed that? Like, rrr, 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 you just stop, 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 stop all the way through. And during the construction, I just had to kind of live with that, and it's a little bit frustrating. But can I ask you tonight if... if uh, observing the stop sign, if you think that hinders you, try not observing them for a while and see if that doesn't hinder you more. Right? Like if you're going too fast, 
because you just got to get there and then you got the Christmas lights lighting up behind you and somebody celebrating the... I, uh, I don't like to be in those situations. But uh, if you think that stopping will hinder you, try not stopping. Or if you think you've got to go way fast all the time, what you'll find is you're hindered a lot more because of uh, the consequences of it. All your forward progress could come to an abrupt halt. Listen, God knows our situation better than we do, and sometimes he tells us to stop. Stop. Slow down. His commands, don't, don't miss this now, his commands are based on his knowledge of the situation, which is complete. We, our reactions are based on our knowledge of the situation, which is not complete. Sometimes it's very limited. We just have a small part of the picture. God's got the whole thing. Trust him, like we said earlier. Trust and obey, even if it means standing still. Uh, looking at the specifics of the victory here, just very quickly end up here. The, good, the Gideon, uh, Gideon and company blew their trumpets. They smashed the pitchers. They held up the torches. They shouted the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Then the Midianites ran and cried and fled. And the Lord said, every man's sword against his fellow. We see here they were feel fearful. Terrible fear swept over the Midianite camp. They hear the trumpet blast. They hear the pottery being smashed. They hear the... They hear the, the, the people's charge. They see all the torches there. And they went crazy. They, they completely panicked. And they uh, were starting to run around, uh, arming themselves, trying to figure out what was going on, confused that, that right after you woke up feeling and you don't quite know what's going on. And then they see somebody coming at him carrying a weapon and they stab him real quick. And then, they, and then somebody else sees you stabbing them. And then they're after you and it just starts a complete mass panic in this camp where they're killing each other amazing thing by the way it's fitting that the Midianites faced some fear because they had been a terror to Israel the Bible says in 6 2 judges and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel and because of the Midianites the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds they were so afraid they went and hid themselves in caves and and uh, ditches trying to escape the Midianites God often punishes people for their sin in the same mode in which they sin and here the Midianites were filled with terror. We do reap what we sow still. Amen. That verse is still in the Bible. They were not only fearful, they were foolish. Gideon's army, when they began their attack, the Midianites fled the valley of Jezreel. They came from Bathsheba to Zerarath to the border of Abel Molola, later the birthplace of Elisha, by the way, all the way to Tabith and their way back to the land of Midian. Now, this showed foolishness because guess what? No one was chasing them, and they're still running. I mean, they were terrified. They're running and running all this way. Gideon and his army never, never moved. They just were standing during all this. Later on, of course, they chased them down, but right now uh, they were just uh, standing. Midianites' folly was they were acting before they thought. They were bluffed into defeat. But God brought that victory. Of course, God had, had a part, I believe, in their fear and their panic. But God always makes fools out of those who oppose him. The Bible says in Proverbs 28.1, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. That verse has always amazed me. Wicked flee, running in fear when no one is chasing you. By the way, that's why I don't believe in jogging. The wicked, they're the ones that run when nobody's chasing them. 
The only time it's right to run, somebody's chasing. Just a personal thought. They were uh, confused. The Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout the host. It's not difficult to see how this happened. I mean, human nature, they were panicked. They absolutely panicked. They thought that the Israelite soldiers were invading the camp. They didn't have any artificial lighting. I think sometimes in the day that we live in, even though we are kind of out in the country, but it gets dark if there's no street lights. It gets dark without any kind of artificial lighting. And so here they were in uh, panic. The, before Gideon, ca- get this, before Gideon captured and killed the two kings of Midian, 120,000 of the 135,000 were killed. By who? By them. They killed each other. And God, this was God's doing. Imagine that. Just as God was helping Gideon's group to success, he helped the Midianites to self-destruct. What a terrible thing it is to have God fighting against you, isn't it? What a great thing it is to have God fighting for you. Somebody asked Abraham Lincoln one time, or said to Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, uh, let us just hope that God be on our side. And he said, no, let us hope we be on the side of God. That's the important place to be. Terrible thing to have God fight against you. But that's the experience of so many today. They set themselves against God. When you set yourself against God, you set God against yourself. We have to be careful there. And I know sometimes it feels in our life like God is working against us. We, we, we better never work against Him. The problem usually is in some way, that's exactly what's happening. Going against God's will, going against God's word, going against God's way. How much better to submit, like Gideon did, even when it makes absolutely no sense. Really. I'm to stand on a hill at the edge of a camp of 135,000 soldiers with 300 men and blow trumpets. That's what I'm supposed to do. And he obeyed. Huh? He obeyed. He just did it. Trusted God. No, no. You don't only get trumpets. You also get clay jars. Oh, okay, thank you. That makes it much better. But he obeyed, and he did what God said, and God wrought the victory. You know what it takes in our life to see God bring about great victories? is not for us to figure the whole situation out. It's just for us to submit to him. Like Pastor said earlier, God's got it figured out. He understands the whole picture. He's there. He knows. Let us just trust him and obey. Father, thank you for this.